college football, it looks like it's going to be UCLA once again in the Rose Bowl. After their blazing victory over the Trojans of USC, a fourth quarter touchdown pass UCLA, a 21-18 victory for 85,000 fans. Here's an urgent flash from our newsroom. In New York City, oh my God, there's been a nuclear accident. afternoon and welcome to Acting Up, an hour of resistance radio that explores the movements that made us, drawing from the activist archives through to Voices of Resistance today. I'd like to start the show by acknowledging that we are broadcasting from stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. So this year at Friends of the Earth, we are celebrating 45 years of resistance. That's 45 years we've been mobilizing communities, resisting the oppressive forces from patriarchy to nuclear racism and transforming our future towards a more just world for all. I'm M. Gaifer and today's episode of Acting Up is a part of our retrospective history series of Friends of the Earth, part of our birthday celebration for our 45 years. We're going to be taking a deeper look into a very important series of events run by the Anti-Nuclear Collective at Friends of the Earth over the years, the Radioactive Exposure or RAD Tours. So if you've been tuning into the series for some time, you might remember all the way back in week one, we started off the show 
by looking into the history of the anti-nuclear campaign. That's FOE's longest-running campaign and still to this day one of our core campaign issues. So one hour wasn't really long enough to cover everything that's happened in the anti-nuke space over the years because there's such a long and rich history. So today we're going to be drilling down into one aspect of the campaign that's been incredibly important to the way faux campaigns in that anti-nuke space. And I'm joined in the studio by Isla and Linda Marks, who started up the RAD Tours, the first official one happening all the way back in 1990 as well as Jamila Rushton, who has been involved more recently with the ACE Collective helping to organise those RAD tours and who did get involved at Friends of the Earth through coming on a RAD tour, which is awesome. And I'm also going to play an interview that we recorded earlier this year with Meryl Youssef, who came on the RAD tour in 1996 and it completely changed her life. It's a really special story. So we're going to cover the history of campaigns and the politics of the time over our 45 years of campaigning here in so-called Australia, what we did and why it's still important. Looking forward to a really great show, so stick around after this community service announcement. We're talking about ecological thinning and subsidised longing, but we basically mean the same things, don't we, here? Wherever there are chemical corporations around the world, they're constantly trying to chip away at regulations. Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories from developments in government and industry to the campaigns and communities that are standing up to them. Earth Matters plays at 11am Sunday and 6.30am Wednesday. Turn your dial to 855am or listen online at 3cr.org.au. While the headlines have subsided, the nuclear power plant is still not under control, with the spent fuel rods removed from only one out of four reactors. Law needs to change so that uh, our rights can be recognised, so that decisions in relation to the use and exploitation of our lands is out. You're listening to Acting Up. We are celebrating Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday with a retrospective series looking into our 45 years of creative resistance. You are here with M, and I'm in the studio with Isla and Linda Marks and Jamila Rushton. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. So, Isla and Linda, we had you on the show back in week one. And we were talking about the history of the anti-nukes campaigning with the wonderful Dave Sweeney. And we got some context for Foe's history in the anti-nukes space. So we're, let's go from jumping forward in there to the start of the RAD tours or the radioactive exposure tours. So how did they originate? You know, I can't believe that they're 30 years old. It was 30 years ago or 32 years ago that we really actually started all this. It just seems like yesterday. It's pretty amazing. It is It is amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose it started really with the um, uh, blockades at the Roxby Mine in 83 and 84. Um, uh, um, I, was, I was at those blockades with um, a lot, 600 other people, 600 plus other people. And um, after the last block blockade, uh, a, a group of people went out, left Roxby. Really, they were um, forced out by the, some, a group called the Star Police and Star Force Police and... And they went up to the Mound Springs area um, on the Udenada track and they were there for a year. And they kept writing to Foe and um, contacting people and saying something had to be done about the Mound Springs. And it wasn't in, um, until about 87 that we managed to get up there and, um, and just see what, what that uranium mine was doing at Roxby was doing to the springs. And uh, it, the, what was happening was that water... The springs were being depleted of water, and three had dried up totally, and um, and others had had re- drastically reduced flow, and um, and also what was happening at that time was um, the people at Arabana House in Maree were writing to Friends of the Earth um, by fax and uh, fax machine and asking us to come up and um, help them um, protect their bores and their springs. And, and it's important here that when you talk about the the springs, when thinking about the black-throated finch, that each of those springs developed or evolved by itself in isolation. So the the little tiny little shrimp-like things and other things that were living in those springs are unique. So once they're dried up, those things have gone. So extinction isn't just uh, something that we can actually 
relate to. It's it's things like in a in a salty spring, in a remote part of Australia. Mm. They, that's important yeah. also. Mm. Yeah, yeah, the, and and also they they were very very sacred to the Arabana. Yeah, yeah and they, well they they, they were um, extremely um, sacred. Uh, um, many of them were part of the uh, initiation process. That that really um, um, wasn't wasn't that long ago. People have living memories of it. Um, so, so we started going up there in '87 just to have a look at the springs mm. and um, and look at the the mine, the, the Roxby mine, and also look at the tailings because terrible things were happening with the tailings then, uh, although well, they probably still are, only we can't see it. And um, so, what started off as a small group of people um, in our holidays ended up to be more and more people, and uh, we ended up with with large groups from 14 to over 20 people just going off on their holidays to see what was happening to the springs and the, the mine up there. And, um, and Well, people used to say to us, didn't they, we hear you're going up to the springs again in the school holidays. We're both teachers. And, and you'd say, yes. And they'd say, well, can we come? <laughs> and they say, well, you have to bring your own vehicle. It's un- all unmade roads. Can, can you do it? And they say, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, and, and, and People that were with us said that it was um, an amazing experience. And so um, in, uh, in 86, I, I went on something that was called um, an exposure tour to the Philippines. And um, while I was there, I kept thinking, now, you know, we should be taking people in a formal way up, up to, the, um, to the areas that are affected by the nuclear industry in Australia so that they have a first-hand experience of, of walking on the land and, and seeing uh, where the mine is, seeing where the mound springs are, uh, seeing where um, where new mines are, are proposed, and um, and then um, not much longer after that, it was seeing where um, the federal government wanted to put radioactive waste dumps, and um, and speaking to the people that were affected, the indigenous people and um, and the, the farmers, the pastoralists, and the people that lived in the towns. So that's that's how the radioactive exposure tours were born, yeah. and uh, we did it with a big fanfare. We had a had a launch of the first radioactive tour, which was um, we had a lot of photographs that were blown up and and laminated. That sounds pretty um, archaic now, but that was um, pretty high tech in those days. And uh, people came and looked at these marvelous photos, and got um, very enthusiastic about it. We 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 also um, we didn't just want it to be a a trip to the desert, although that's pretty fun in itself, but we wanted it to be a greater learning experience. So we did background sheets on all the bits of the parts of the industry that we'd be looking at on our particular tour. Mm. And um, on that first tour, the, the first stop was Horsham, where, um, where some rare earth mining was, um, was proposed, and the locals were very much opposed to it, and they'd contacted Friends of the Earth, and we were part of their campaign to stop that mining there. And, um, and it, it never went ahead. So that was our first night out at Horsham, where we camped with, um, with, uh, with local people and townspeople and farmers. Mm. And, um, and we listened to what they had to say, and it was just a really great beginning to the tour, our yeah. first tour. It sounds like there's just, you know, it's like over the years it might have morphed and changed, but it's always set out with such an um, amazing intention and to show people that nuclear industry. When you were starting with the idea for it, did you have a kind of intention with what you wanted people to get out of it or what you wanted sort of the outcomes to be? That's an interesting question because you, you can't second-guess what people want to do. We, we knew that the sorts of people that would be attracted to a tour like this were activists themselves or were um, e- even if they were just people who went to demonstrations it could be somebody who was very very active or someone who, who just had uh, personal opinions of, of that kind. So we wanted to educate people because, after all, in Australia we may not have a nuclear power station and such where we have the research facility at Lucas Heights, but we've, we have every other, we have the rest. We've got the mineral sands mining and we've got the, uh, the, the nuclear waste and we have the mines. We're, we're the beginning, we're the beginning of the chain. And um, when people saw things, for example, the photos that you, you were talking about before, Isla, when people saw that, that well we <laughs> we didn't do panoramas in those days you take about five different photos and put them together and when people saw the obscenity which is is say the tailings dam at Roxbury they were stunned 
absolutely stunned, for example, to think that that was going to be eventually, I think something, is it 30 metres high? How high was it going to be? Was it 15 yeah. metres? Or? No, no, I think it was like a three-storey building yeah. and, yeah. Uh, and, and, and cover it would be the size of a, sh- a sheep station of just this huge monolith of tailings. So mm. it, was, it's, it is such a, an obscenity and it's, it's happening as we speak. And we thought it was very important if people could see it for, them, for themselves, mm. the magnitude of it. And, um, and, th- and then people um, are more prepared to do something about it once yeah. they have some personal experience of it. Yeah, exactly. They, they saw the photos and then, they, then we actually took them there. And, yeah. and this, this tailings dam is going to be so much higher than the surrounding sand dunes in a, a landscape where the main geological feature is erosion. Mm. So it, it's, it was, was pretty... People were affected. Like yeah. Meryl said to you in, the, in that interview, she, she was affected by it. Absolutely. Well, look, we might just take a quick break there. We've just been chatting about the beginnings of the RAD tour out into the desert, looking at the nuclear industry. This is Acting Up. We'll be back after this community service announcement. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. The Voice of West Papua now has a one-hour show. We have moved from Monday 6.30 to Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. Yes, more news and music from West Papua. listening to Acting Up. This is Friends of the Earth celebrating our 45-year birthday this year, looking back at some of the historical moments that made us. And today on the show, we're talking about the radioactive exposure tours that ran, um, are still going to this day and have been run by the Anti-Nuclear Collective. So I'm joined in the studio by tour founders Isla and Linda Marks and Jamila Rushton, who's been more recently involved with organising the tours. And we wanted to pick it up just kind of thinking about the concept of just how far away and remote some of these areas where the nuclear industry actually is. And, you know, that's obviously a part of their tactic and in a way that makes it really hard for people to connect with some of these issues. So how did you actually get out to those places? Yeah, well, you're right. It, it, is, um, it is remote and it, um, but and, and, and people don't know how, how to find them. You, you might have strong ideas about uranium mining or nuclear waste, but um, to actually get there as an individual is quite difficult. And so at Friends of the Earth, um, because we'd had um, um, the experience of the, um, of the Roxby blockades and then later on going and visiting the Mound Springs, um, we, we knew how to get there. We knew where the places were. And also we, we knew we, we'd already had contact with the traditional owners at Roxby, it was the Gukatha and the Arabana at, um, up, up at the Mount Springs area. And we would been able to form personal relationships with these people. So we learned how, how to, um, how to, how to do it in a respectful way. We never camped anywhere without first asking permission. Mm. Um, and it gave people from the city who wouldn't, nec- wouldn't have the opportunity to go to places like this. We gave them the opportunity to do that and um, to, to see a gibber plane for the first time is an amazing experience or the iconic sand dunes at Roxby that are that burnt orange colour and then the more subtle colours in, on the Unidata track where the Mount Springs are. It, it really is um, an, an experience that people always remember for the rest of their lives because I know I have. Absolutely. And Jamila, you've been involved recently organising. Do you still feel like that, you know, obviously the world has gotten smaller in ways in the last 20 or 30 years, but do you still feel like there is that need for people to go out to these remote areas and there is a sense of remoteness about them still? Absolutely, Em. Thanks thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, it's certainly still a long drive. Um, you're out of range for quite a lot of the time when you're in these areas and certainly that is that feeling of remoteness and I think that um, as you mentioned that's 
part of why the industry has taken such a strong hold in these places. It's a real out-of-sight, out-of-mind approach um, with people from the city having this um, incredible distance and um, between yeah, between themselves and the issues. And, yeah, for me, certainly the RAD tour was a, an opportunity to really bridge that gap and do some really immersive learning and, um, yeah, develop an understanding of how... Um, yeah, some of these really complex issues around extractivism and racism and colonisation uh, interconnect um, and militarism as well. So it's, yeah, the radioactive exposure tour for me has always really brought those issues together um, and, yeah, how the role that the nuclear industry plays there. And I mentioned earlier that you got involved at Friends of the Earth through a RAD tour. So what was your experience of your first RAD tour like? Um, my first radioactive exposure tour was in 2014, and that was at the time when um, the current federal government was uh, seeking to impose a nuclear waste dump in the Northern Territory in a place called Muckety, Muckety Station, which is about 120 kilometres from Tennant Creek. Um, so I think that was one of the sort of longest distance radioactive exposure tours that happened um, in, right into the heart of the Northern Territory. Um, and visiting along the way these special places like the Mound Springs and the not-so-special um, BHP uranium mine along the way. Um, but that was my first experience, so it was a nearly a two-week radioactive exposure tour, and um, and it was at a pivotal time in that campaign. So um, in the lead-up to... We visited Muckety and met with the traditional owners there and heard about their seven-year struggle um, to defend that, that place, um, just a few months ahead of the, a court case um, when, yeah, when these traditional owners were taking their concerns to the federal court, um, yeah, which was, uh, was won. The, that campaign was won and there was no nuclear waste dump there, um, but obviously the struggles continue. Um, but, yeah, that's how I just, yeah, that was my experience and a huge long trip. Yeah, amazing. And Isla and Linda, hearing, you know, Jamila's recent experience on a radioactive tour in 2014... Do you know? Do you get an impression that much has changed since then in terms of the tours themselves? Well, I'm not. I've sort of lost a bit of contact with it. I'm not sure how many people you took with you on that tour. How many? How many people were on the tour? On that tour, also one of the largest that I've been on, probably into the 40s. Yeah, yeah, well, a I'd, large, large group. <laughs> I'd say that probably the tours haven't changed because because the the aspects of the tours are that you take. Probably too many people. Like when, when, when you take um, over 40 people, it starts to get very unwieldy. And do you take cars? We used to hire buses, and uh, and I had to get my bus license so I could drive the bus. Half a dozen of us did that. Um, so you have a have a cavalcade of buses and cars um, going up there. But also you're organising along the, the way. You might organise some public meetings in particular places to talk to people. I'm looking at, at the moment, when there's one with Jenny, what was her second name, Isla? Jenny, Jenny Lewis. Lewis, Jenny Lewis. This, this was in Port Augusta um, with, with the mineral sands processing plant there. But, but we, we had public meetings in Roxby, for example, and you would have had, you have public meetings, and talking to activists along the way who are so relieved for, for people to be coming, and, and also that information collecting and sharing that goes on. And I, I suppose they're always looking for a, a nuclear waste dump. And even now with global warming, they're talking about, oh, well, why don't we have a nuclear power station? You, you, you think you've, you've knocked that one on the head and still there's some idiots out there who think it's viable. So, no, I don't think things have changed that much. Yeah. But, but I also do think it, it is getting harder for mining companies to get away with stuff mm. because we've got our eye on them. Yeah. Mm. Did you yeah. want to add something to that, Isla? Well, just while, while there's a, um, a nuclear industry in Australia, there will always be a place for um, radioactive exposure tours or rad tours so that we can take people um, so that they can confront the uh, nuclear industry wherever it is in Australia. Um, uh, uh, while um, we were organising the tours, uh, the federal government wanted to put a nuclear waste dump at Cooper Pedy, and um, we, we took a group of people up there and um, organised public meetings, and eventually that led to a, a big camp of 600 people 
um, at the invitation of the Kungujuta, uh, where we learned about um, radioactive waste and uh, the effect it was having on the people up there. It, it's from small things, big things grow. I think that's a, I'm uh, pinching other words of a song there. But, Paul uh, Kelly. Yeah, Paul Kelly, thanks. Um, so so it, with these radioactive, radioactive tours, it's not just taking people to the desert or wherever the nuclear industry is. Um, there's always something that, that comes from it um, be, because people um, um, see what it is and uh, become uh, moved to, um, to oppose the nuclear industry in all sorts of imaginative ways. Mm, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, one of the things that we've noticed talking just generally on many episodes of this show has been that... Um, you know, some a lot of things have changed in terms of technology or, you know, the uses that people had back in the day before mobile phones or the internet. So it's actually really amazing to see this sort of, you know, 30 years worth of something that actually hasn't changed that much and is still really important in the exact same form and is a really uh, vital campaigning tool that still has so much relevance. So that's a pretty special thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And... You know, we were just talking about the kind of logistics of organising and that kind of thing. Did all of that sort of just happen organically for you? Oh no, no, we we were we were extremely organised. We used to do um, what we'd call a blind trip, and we'd we'd do the tour without taking anybody first, and that was where we made the contacts with the indigenous people. We'd work out where we we're going to camp, get permission. Um, um, we draw up the background sh- sheets. We write the background sheets for each part of the tour. That might have been um, something on um, rare earth mining or on uh, the Narunga. There was a spy base at Narunga, which was on the way to um, the, the uh, uranium to Roxby uranium mine. And we do a background sheet on that, um, and but background on the Mound Springs. When we went pe- took people to Beverly, we did a background sheet on that. So we, all, we were always researching and learning more ourselves. And um, and we were extremely organised. We had um, um, we had all the cooking equipment. We had the recipes. We had, we worked out where to buy the food. And of course, it was all vegetarian and um, as organic as we could make it. Um, and, and we knew every camping spot. We knew we had, we knew every we had our favourite camping spots. We taught people how to um, um, go to the toilet in the desert by burning their burning their toilet paper, and um, and. Um, how not to use too much water. It was it was all a hugely um, well-organised, mm. well-oiled machine. Yeah. Yeah. It was planned down to the finest detail because you don't want things to go wrong on something like this because the, the you know the, the 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 police were watching the whole time, the the security people were watching the whole time. You need it to be well organised, but but when you're well organised like that, it, it does mean that because we're and also we would be having meetings all the time, every morning and every afternoon, we'd also be having meetings with the, the participants, and it, it means that you've got the space and the ability to be flexible and to respond to people's needs, and also because you've workshopped everything, you know what's going to work and what's not going to work. So you can say to people, well, then that's not such a good idea, but but another idea will come up and you'll say, yeah, sure, let's do that. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And you can, you can factor it in, and, but also know that you, you have to get people back, in, back into those cars and on the road at 9 o'clock the next morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It, it didn't always run smoothly. Um, I remember one tour, we had organised to have a public meeting on workers' health at, at, um, at the Roxby Township, and um, we were making our way down. I think we're coming down from... Cupertino or somewhere, and um, and we got caught on the Udnadatta track by, in an enormous rainstorm. Wow! And um, that was coming down from Coward, wasn't it? We had the rainstorm, and then we had to get out, and then another rainstorm came. It rainstorm. Yeah, we were stuck on the Boarfield Road, and we had That's to camp. Right. It, the cars just literally couldn't go on the road; they were sliding off it. So we had to camp on the Boarfield Road. We were running short of water until we found a, a, a huge a, a dam or a little puddle the other uh, in the morning. And and and. It was pouring with rain. We're running out of water and it was pouring with rain. Yeah, so we were collecting the water <laughs> coming off the tents and we had all these people and we were trying to cook, cook dinner it was, um, and we were worried about getting to Roxby the next day at night for the, um, for the public meeting. But um, we, we got out and we, the sun shone in the morning and we managed to get back, back to Roxby. Well, when we drove into Roxby, the road had been closed, but because we were in the middle of it, um, we didn't know that they'd closed the road. But, of course, the people in the township, the security people in the township, knew that we, we'd 
that had happened to us, and they were cheering because they didn't think we'd make it. They thought we'd be out there forever, wow. lost forever or something. But, and, but we came in and we had that public meeting very seriously, mm. and uh, they had to take us very seriously. Great stuff. And it just shows you when you've got the well-oiled machine, you can weather anything. <laughs> oh, well, weather, weather's the word. <laughs> weather is the word. All right. Well, on that note, we might take a break and go to a song. We've got Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil here, which um, one of you two selected for the last show, but we didn't get a chance to play it. I did. I yes. did it. And did you want to make a comment on that song before we play it? It's just a great song. It's but, a great song. That it is. This is Midnight and, Oil. And, and also, um, he's making some great statements now. Um, so that's good. Mm, absolutely. That's full, state, full circle. You're listening to 3CR.
You are listening to Acting Up on 3CR. Welcome back. We are celebrating Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday this year. And we are talking about the incredible radioactive exposure tours that have been organised by some people from the anti-nuclear collectives at FOE over the last 30 years. And we've got Isla and Linda Marks in the studio and Jamila Rushton. And we are now going to hear a story from Meryl Youssef, who came on the Rad Tour in 1996, and it completely changed her life. And we recorded this for an episode of Dirt Radio, the Friends of the Earth uh, 3CR show earlier this year. And Linda has brought along a wonderful book of photos from the Rad Tours over the years, and you've actually got a photo of Meryl there, is that right? Yeah, when we were talking about Meryl, we we, we caught up with Meryl after the 45-year celebration. It was really good to see her again. We hadn't seen her for a couple of years, and it just reminded me of all this. But going through my photo of them, which is all, you know, they're all prints, my God. And here's a picture of Meryl at uh, Arabana House talking to Reg Dodd, who's Arabana elder. And uh, then I've got another picture of me and Meryl and Isla and that, that woman's name's Crina. And it's an article that Isla wrote for the AEU, AEU News, the Teachers' Union News. And there she is. We, we were sort of like a, a teacher's group and a, a, a teacher's delegation where we, well, you know, we put ourselves together as a teacher's delegation for the purposes of the article. And there's a picture of us in the AEU News with Merrill. Great. Well, let's hear the interview. This is Phil Evans interviewing Meryl Youssef. We're celebrating 45 years of history of Friends of Earth Australia, and we're really excited to have Meryl Youssef in the studio. Good morning, Meryl. Good morning. Um, really excited to have you here. And um, as Em was saying just before the break, uh, we both heard the wonderful story of your first experiences with uh, Friends of the Earth um, and the radioactive exposure yeah. tour. Um, and we want to share that with our listeners today. So I wondered if you could start by painting a picture of when did you first um, encounter Friends of the Earth? What was your life like before all that happened? Oh, well, I was a, <coughs> trained as a nurse and went overseas and worked. And I came back um, and worked for a while in Australia. And then I went travelling again and met my Indonesian husband and ended up in Indonesia for 12 and a half years came back, separated from my husband, brought my two boys, 11 and 8, back to Australia and started work at um, the Association for the Blind Nursing Home. The first, the, they were having industrial <coughs> sorry, disputes and they had the Australian Nursing Federation came in to try and legislate or, you know, get it organised. So I turned up never having had anything to do with unions or anything. So I then became a <coughs> uh, organiser or a, a representative at the, in the, at, at, uh, the nursing home. Mm-hmm. One of my friends was on the committee or the board of the Australian Nursing Federation And in 1996, she rang me at 10 o'clock one night and said, I've just put your name down to go with Friends of the Earth on a tour to Roxby Downs (laughs) and Olympic Dam, and you have to let them know by tomorrow at 10 o'clock and they leave in 10 days. (laughs) And I said, what? I don't know. I don't even know if I can get holidays. (laughs) So the Friends of the Earth had approached the Australian Nursing Federation to sponsor someone on this tour, and if it was... Uh, union or health related they agreed so so you ticked all the boxes ticked the boxes <laughs> yes. yes and so 10 days later I was off w- wow. with, with the most eclectic <laughs> range of people that I had ever come across we had y- lots of young people there, there probably were about 8 of us middle aged like the Mark sisters, Isla and, and uh, Linda, who were both teachers, and I was a nurse, and Daniel, who ran it, was a very straight-laced young man, but probably in his 30s, and then we had all the young ones with the dreadlocks, and we had two young men who got round in dresses and football socks, and just an, an amazing array of people. Oh, good to hear that uh, Frocks on the front line uh, was still going back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, and off we set. Great. So tell us about your first impressions. How was it right when you arrived? Well, I was really a bit stunned, not having had anything outside of a very normal uh, Melbourne upbringing and uh, nursing. Uh, So, yes, but it turned out to be a great fun trip and uh, everybody got on extremely well and uh, we went to... <clears throat> up through, oh, we went to Mari, Mari, Mori, Mori up there, the Arabana lands, where we went off. We were given permission to go onto their land at um, Finnis Station, where we camped and we had um, campfires with them around there, and mm. met a whole lot of them. And they took us off to see this amazing, I don't know whether it was a salt pan with sand dunes along the edges where they say for thousands of years the Aboriginals have come for like an Olympic Games. Mm. Not many white people have been to that area to see it, so it was amazing. And up then to Olympic Dam where they said... You know, we we might be ended up being arrested. And I said, oh, I can't do that. I've got, <laughs> I've got two boys and I'm a single parent. They said, oh, you can sit in the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, and those places, uh, many people may have been around these days, but it was a different time back then, wasn't it? We didn't have mobile phones. There wasn't no. social media. So the distances felt even further and more isolating, didn't they? They did. It was a long way to go. And we got bogged on the Boarfield Road, (laughs) one of the Boarfield Roads. I don't remember how many of them there were. But we had the first rain in six years. And that red, red mud was very sticky when it got wet. And we had to pull up because one of the buses got bogged. And they were trying to cook us a dinner. And we were all holding on to the edges of the tent so it didn't blow off so that they had a a dry area to produce our meal. So it was great fun. It really sounds like it. And so you said that before you went on this trip you didn't have much of a kind of um, understanding or knowledge of many of the environmental issues or the things that Friends of the Earth had campaigned on. Never really heard about uranium. Mm -hmm. Had not been in any union before Mm. I came back. Um, so, yes, it was uh, an eye-opener mm. to go up there and see and hear. Yeah, and so how would you say your impressions of the you know, uranium mining industry changed after that trip? Well, I, I remember the tailings dams and the footprints of native animals going in and none coming out. Yeah. I can really... That was one thing that really stuck in my mind. Sure. And... Did that that first um, impression, did that kind of create a, a broader change in life? Did you start to see oh, things differently? Definitely. I became very involved with Friends of the Earth when I came back. I used to attend the um, <coughs> monthly meetings at FOE. Sorry, the week, weekly they were, not <laughs> monthly, weekly. Uh, and I went to lots of protests and signed lots of petitions and I came, became very involved. We used to raise money for AU, as it was that, day, that time, anti-uranium. Mm-hmm. We used to cook and cater for the a- ACF com- um, committee meetings and we went to uh, uh, one of the... Uh, uh, one, of, one of the big... I'm sorry, that was my phone. One one of the big um, uh, confest up at Moama, which was a great eye-opener to me. You know, (laughs) lots of people without clothes wandering around. And you'd be um, serving food because we were, were selling meals. And, you know, you'd have these little bits dangling in front of you, which was really a bit overpowering at times. <laughs> but it was fun. And, yes, so I was very involved for many, many years. For sure. Um, so you still come in around Friends of the Earth uh, these days. We see you around quite a bit. I do. I can't, 
because I live the other side of town, I no longer come up Punt Road in the peak hour for <laughs> 6.30 meetings. But I do come every couple of months with all the empty containers for the co-op. Mm. So that's what I, why I'm there regularly. Uh, and I did donate to the renovation, so I came to the party the other week. Oh, that was fun, wasn't it? It was fun. <laughs> and it's such an amazing space now that the renovation's done. And then I went on uh, Friday to a protest in town for the um, climate blockers. Oh, yes, the climate blockers, what, with the Act on Climate Collective, yeah. Yeah, yeah so... So how, how has Friends of the Earth changed since uh, you first encountered it in 1996? Is it, is it very different or is it very much the same? No, I think it's much the same, really mm-hmm. dedicated people who have a great passion for what area that they're really involved in. Mm. Mm. And I love hearing the way that, you know, over the years you've been involved in lots of different ways at Friends of the Earth. I think that's a really special part of the Friends of the Earth community is how, you know, you can go on a rad tour or you can do some cooking or you can come every few months to a meeting and all of that's really important to contributing to our community. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to people who, you know, out there who might be have a bit of an interest or, you know, think, oh, the uranium industry's you know, not so great. What would you say to them about, yeah? I would say come and get involved with Faux because it really is a very, very passionate and interesting time and and you can contribute to what's going on. Yeah, that's one of my favourite things is uh, no matter what you do, what your skills are, there's always a place for you in the wider community at Faux. Yes, there yeah. is. Mm. Mm. Awesome. So we're on Dirt Radio. You're listening to 3CR, and we are chatting with Meryl Youssef about uh, her experience um, back with the radioactive exposure tour from the anti-uranium group, also known as ACE, also known as Nuclear Free Australia. (laughs) Many, many names. (laughs) But um, I think that collective's been going since 1983. I think it officially formed. And um, even before that, Friends of the Earth forming back in 1974. So we're celebrating those 45 years of creative resistance. Um, And it's wonderful to hear these stories. So we've gone through your experience first with Fo, how it's changed a little bit, um, how it's much the same. (laughs) And if if people are interested in um, in coming along to events, um, what would you say to them if they're a little bit nervous, um, knowing that you got thrown in the deep end that first time? <laughs> I remember my first collective meeting and being super shy and not sure how to how to approach. Is it worth just jumping in? It certainly is because everyone is extremely friendly, and you increase your knowledge of whatever area you're interested in. Hi, Hi. we're from Rainbow College and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio on 8.55am. Welcome back to Acting Up. You're listening to 45 Years of Creative Resistance, a retrospective history series about Friends of the Earth, and we are coming towards the end of our show. This is Am, your host for today. We've been chatting about the radioactive exposure tours at Friends of the Earth and their incredible legacy. So amazingly, the radioactive exposure tours are still going. And next year we have a tour. Gem, did you have some details about that to share with listeners? I do. Um, Yeah, next year we are planning a tour for April. Um, And it's going to be a very pivotal time um, in the movement. So, yeah, we're hoping that uh, lots of people are keen to come along and hear about the, the kind of issues at hand. Um, we spoke a bit about Roxby, Roxby Downs and the Olympic Dam uranium mine. So currently there's plans for um, an expansion there. Um, so, and that includes an expansion of the tailings and it also includes um, increasing their water usage. So their license could increase from 42 billion litres to 50 billion litres per day. Wow. So, yeah, obviously in these times it is, yeah, it's such a... Absolutely unacceptable waste of water, especially for such a um, destructive um, yeah, resource to be pulled out of the ground. So, um, yeah, we want to be talking about that. And we'll also be visiting communities who have been in the firing line of um, the latest round of um, government plans for a nuclear waste dump in remote South Australia. So um, communities in Kimba on the Air Peninsula and also in the Flinders Ranges. So 
Um, also, a, a government uh, community ballot is actually taking place this week um, and, yeah, potentially an announcement within the next few weeks as to where the government is thinking that they might be these communities, well, yeah, which community it might be in. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of resistance uh, to the nuclear industry that's very live and very active now in South Australia. So um, we're looking forward to taking people out there in April. Um, if, yeah, if people are inspired and, and, and want to get involved, um, you can find us on Facebook. So that's the ACE Nuclear Free Collective or email radexposuretour at foe.org.au and we'll have more details coming out in the next few weeks of people wanting to get involved. Great. It's going to be an amazing trip, I'm sure. And like Isla was saying earlier, you know, as long as there is a nuclear industry in Australia, there is a need for the RAD tour. So really important stuff. We might just go to a quick community service announcement and we'll be back to wrap up the show after this. 3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to the Tricia Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Testami Auna ila ila Tricia Community Radio araja al istrakel an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanali Tricia ray kertu kondi rakandirikal. Inre inayingal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsuketsek Radio i Gairanin for a time guda Melbourne high kaotin. Hima artsan akrevetsek ifer Tricia ray antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Yeah, join me at 11 every Friday for some black and deadly sound. Please share community radio 855 on the AM dial. Point of the people's opinion. Saturday, Friday, Robbie Fort Radic Radio. Yeah, join me at 11 every Friday for some black and deadly sound. Please share community radio 855 on the AM dial. Point of the people's opinion. Saturday, Friday, Robbie Fort Radic Radio. You're listening to 3CR. This is Acting Up, and we're looking back at Friends of the Earth's history for the last 45 years, talking about the radioactive exposure to us today and we're coming to the end of the show with Linda and Isla Marks in the studio. We're just talking off air how next year, you know, Jamila was just talking about the next rad tour and that's going to be 30 years of the tours. How does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel as though it's time I went on another tour. (laughs) (laughs) It is is amazing. It it does certainly um, give you itchy feet and want to get out there and... and, and, um, do more to expose and um, confront this nuclear industry. Mm, absolutely. And so, you know, you started the tours up in around, you know, 1990. How long were you organising them for? Um, I, I stopped um, organising them or being part of the organising team um, when I st- stopped um, working at FOE in, I think it was about 2001, 2002. Yeah. Mm. And, um, but it was a... It was something I really loved. I, um, and I, I met some really interesting people um, working on the tours. There was uh, Michaela, who's here, and um, I think she's the um, volunteer coordinator, and Loretta, who's I think she's in the um, finances yep. at 3CR. So I, I worked with some really terrific people, and people that go on tours, um, you'll, you'll find that you'll, you'll be making friends and meeting people that will be part of your life for many years to come. Yep, it's amazing. Yeah, 15 years of tours, F- 15 years of organising the tours. That was from the late 80s to the early 2000s. Mm. That's yeah, pretty yeah, Probably not amazing. quite, yeah but, yeah. but that desert does get into your skin a bit. I bet, um, yeah. Um, what, one of the people that um, helped organise the tours in the early days, Jan, she lives in Maree now, and she has a, um, a strong association with the Arabana and um, look, um, works at Arabana House um, as, a, as a volunteer, of course. And so you just never know where you're going to end up when yeah. you um, start getting involved in opposing the nuclear industry. Yeah, and, and she she's involved in in taking people on tours, isn't she? Up up the Udnadatta track, looking at Mount Springs, looking at yeah, significant she, cultural places, tours. cultural tours. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. amazing. And yeah. you've had some other people who, you know, it seems like it's really changed their lives um, of being part of the tour. You know, obviously we just heard from Marilyn. Um, Isla, you were speaking about someone who passed away, who was on one of the first tours. Oh yes, that that was um, um, Mark Prosser, and he he was a 
a very handy person and, and he just became an integral part of Friends of the Earth and he helped um, in the food co-op whenever they needed um, building or some fixing done. And um, when the Anti-Uranium uh, Collective um, had to operate by fundraising to pay our coordinators, um, we, we would fundraise at um, things like Down to Earth and Mark was always there fixing all our equipment. We, we couldn't throw away a... A, a, a spoon or a, an egg slice if it was broken because he'd just take it home and fix it for us. And we used that urn for years, didn't we? Yeah, it's and an urn he fixed made. for us um, and the, the barbecues, everything. everything. And um, he thought so highly of the Anti-Uranian Collective and Friends of the Earth that uh, when he died he, he did make a, a, a small um, 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 gift, um, legacy to fire. Yeah, yeah well, that's really special. Yes. Um, sounds like an amazing person. And there's been so many amazing people over the years, so it's great that you know people have had the opportunity to engage with the anti-nuclear issues in this way and over the time. We're coming very close to the end of the show, but I thought, Linda, we were speaking just before about um, the biggest one that you organised in 97, uh, the Rockstock. Rockstock. Rockstock was pretty special. Yeah. The reason Rockstock was so special is because, is because the people on in 96 were the people who organised it. And so we, we had we had meetings actually in at 3CR in the room opposite where we are at the moment. Wow. And uh, uh, we, we had many, many meetings, of course, organising things down to the finest detail. Rockstock was fabulous because apart from going to all sorts of you know, all the places. We had an art exhibition. We had um, a, a, a rock show, a rock, rock concert. Um, we had, um, um, we blockaded the road. We, we did everything on Rockstop. We also had, um, let, me, let me look look at the pictures. We had banner making <laughs> workshops. Yeah, and it, it involved over over 600 people. Yeah. 600 wow. people went to the desert to join Rockstop, which was the protesting at Roxby for three days, and then the Desert Festival at the Mount Springs um, for for um, for four days. It's pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty inspiring stuff. But yeah. also, we we brought out David Richardson, who was an epidemiologist from. Canada? Was yeah, it Canada? Canada? Yeah. Who spoke and just mm. talking about the sorts of cancers that are going to uh, be happen mm. because of the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People working in the mind. Yeah. yeah, it was very inspiring. You know, it's kind of is that creative resistance and it shows that, you know, I think young people today are always looking for interesting new ideas yeah. and it's really beautiful to see that as, as part of our history. Yeah. And I just want to say a big thank you to both of you for joining me on the show. It's been so amazing to talk about these stories. It, it's been totally my pleasure. It's been a, a very interesting um, afternoon we spent with you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I've enjoyed it immensely. Thanks so much. And I'd like to thank my co-producer, Megan, uh, for helping with this show and everyone else at 3CR who helps us with getting acting up on the air. And to catch up on the conversation or listen back over the series, you can check out uh, and stream the episodes on demand on 3cr.org.au slash acting up. And, of course, if you think we've missed anything and you're loving the series, get in touch uh, with Friends of the Earth. You can give us a call at the office or hop on our Facebook page. Stay tuned. Uh, for the rest of the afternoon on 3CR. Thanks for joining us. We're going to go out on uranium mining by Three Little Birds. Went down to the 509, got to keep those greedy hands in line. Hey, guys, this land's not for a mine. So let's take a look at history. We'll learn that indigenous sovereignty is guaranteed by rights and treaties. They dig holes, down they go, mixing water, changing flow. We won't let them know, no, no. Slip off the roads and set up camp, and the court's injunction says we can't, because the FTC wants to make money. Straight past the time to consult, they didn't switch tactics or an insult. You can't bargain from a fixed result. They dig holes, down they go, mixing water, changing flow. We won't let them know, no, no. Stop those holes from digging deep by respecting sovereignty. Let's work in solidarity. I need air, please take care. Please don't take my breath away. I like my lungs cancer free, but gas spreads so easily. They dig holes, dig them deep.
respect Algonquin territory. Don't sell our health for dirty energy. Let's find a way to live responsibly. So stop those holes from digging deep. I respect.